Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Emma Adjumang, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle and Toby Gibb, European Investment Director at Fidelity. European equities have had a tough time over the past few years for reasons including debt problems and economic concerns. But so far this year, European equity markets have been one of the surprise top performers, with the Eurostoxx 50 index rising around 20% over the last 12 months. Emma, you've been looking at this. What's been driving continental European markets? There are quite a few reasons behind it, Leonora. First of all, the economy in the Eurozone has really started to pick up some speed. Unemployment has fallen to the lowest level since 2009 and growth has improved. And secondly, companies have been benefiting from the improved conditions with earnings growth really picking up. Another reason maybe investors are returning to Europe is because the political worries that we had at the start of the year, for example, people worried about Marie Le Pen winning the French election, failed to materialise. And that's another reason why investors have come back into Europe. Okay, I mean, that sounds all very promising. Um, But in view of this year's good run and a good outlook for earnings, are European equities still on reasonable valuations? They're not as cheap as they were this time last year or even earlier this year. But I suppose compared to other developed markets, particularly the US, they are still significantly cheaper. For example, Europe is trading on a cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio of 18.8 times, and that's compared to 30.7 times for the US. OK, um, another important question. We've had a good run. Can they continue to do well? Well, the improving economic picture does suggest that they could. And I mean, with the European Central Bank's policies, keeping low interest rates and quantitative easing, you know, helping financial markets and growth, that's also supportive. And another thing is that many of the companies on European stock exchanges are cyclical, which means that if the global economy keeps growing, these companies are likely to do well. Okay, so in that case, which sectors within Europe look like they could do well? Well, it's those cyclical companies that I was just talking about. They might include things like car manufacturers, financial services companies and oil and gas gas producers, all of which are well represented on the European stock market. Now, you spoke to quite a few investment professionals about the prospects for Europe. I mean, are they unanimously agreed that the prospects for Europe are good? Um, no, perhaps no surprises there. They weren't all universally favourable. I mean, some of the risks that could materialise are the fact that European markets are doing so well could lead to further strengthening of the euro and that could hurt the competitiveness of European companies who are exporting their goods and services around the world. I mean, some of the other analysts we spoke to, notably at Rathbone, said that the most recent credit and monetary indicators they'd seen suggested that growth might actually be slowing down. And if that happens, we might not get the growth and earnings that we're expecting. And the final thing I'll speak about is the European Central Bank, which is really going to have to walk a tightrope to get the balance right. And if they don't, there could be quite a, market, a lot of market volatility. OK, I mean, two sides to a story as always. But if you're one of the investors who thinks these risks are worth taking, what funds could you use to capture Europe's recovery? One example is Jupiter European, which we count among the IC top 100 funds. It's managed by Alex Darwell and it's one of the best performing funds in the sector. Over five years, it's delivered 129.6% and it has a decent ongoing charge of around 1%.
Now, your article also mentioned that smaller companies look set to do particularly well in Europe. And why? Well, when economic conditions are good, history suggests that smaller companies tend to outperform. So, you know, if you're really bullish about Europe, this could be an opportunity to look at smaller companies fund. Okay, and um, what would be a good smaller companies fund? Um, JP Morgan European Smaller Companies Trust, um, which is trading on a 7% discount and has had a really, you know, excellent performance. Over five years, it's returned 219% and it has an ongoing charge of 1.13%. Okay, so some strong growth prospects, but are there any funds that would suit income investors? There definitely are. One example is BlackRock Continental Europe Income Fund. It has a yield of 3.63% and it's also returned really good results. Over five years, it made 124.8%. Okay. Now, Toby, um, what's your view on Continental European equities? Do you think they've got further to run? Yeah, I think I would I would echo a lot of um, what's already been said. I think the you know the macroeconomic picture in Europe is is pretty positive. Um, your GDP growth is is robust, not just in in the core of Europe, but also in the periphery. Um, and we're also seeing you know rapidly accelerating um, lead indicators across um, across the eurozone. This, um, as, as has been said, is fed through to the corporate level. Um, we've seen strong. Um, returns. We've st- seen strong earnings from European companies, and, and they're starting to catch up with um, with their peers on the other side of the, the Atlantic. Um, although I think, you know, I think I think we do need to remember that we're no longer early in the cycle in Europe, um, and margins certainly in some sectors are getting um, getting up towards peak levels. The economic acceleration that we've seen in, in Europe and, and more globally has led to, I would say, a, a a, a strong willingness on the part of investors to, to take on more risk. Um, so investors are increasingly paying up for, for risk, whether it be in the equity market, whether it be in, in credit markets. Um, and you, you could, this sort of manif- manifests itself where, when you look at the, um, the fact that you know, Italian double B high yield um, corporates can effectively borrow now cheaper than the US government. So I think you know, that, that sort of shows you the level of um, risk taking that, that, um, that exists in the market right now. Um, and you know that's also come come through, I think, in some very strong performance and very strong re, uh, re-rating um, of some cyclical companies in, in Europe. So I think there are um, some areas of the market which are potentially looking um, a little bit toppian. And I think what that means is, um, you know, selectivity is is very key. Um, a focus on a focus on stock picking is very important in this environment. Okay, now you said certain areas of the market are toppy, so what's not unreasonable valuations and what areas are unreasonable valuations? Yeah, so I think, I mean, looking at the, the, the European market as a whole, I think it's, it's difficult to argue that, that it's cheap. Um, I think, you know, I mean, there's very little, um, there's very little in the sort of the investment world that, that is um, cheap um, right now, but I think you can make a pretty reasonable case that European equities are um, attractively valued relative to, to other developed markets, particularly the, the US. Um, so the discount that um, the, the European market is trading at relative to the US is, is wider than, um, wider than, than normal. Um, and while US companies are trading you know, well above their, their long-term average and, and you know, on, on some metrics at, at all-time highs, um, other than you know, in, in, in sort of uh, the, the tech bubble period, um, Europe is trading, you know, only marginally above its long-term history. If you look, look at a, a long-term 
cyclically adjusted price earnings multiple. So, so Europe is, is, is reasonable um, valuation in, in absolute terms and, and attractive relative to the US. Um, and I think, you know, attractive relative to other asset classes, particularly, um, particularly re- relative to fixed income. I, I mentioned the point about um, the, the, the yields on, uh, on, on European high-yield companies, for example. Um, but also when you look at the, you know, the percentage of European companies whose dividend yield is higher than their corporate bond yield, that's pretty much as high as it's, it's ever been. So you know, I think relative to other asset classes, there's, there's definitely a valuation case um, to be made. Um, I think, you know, from, from a, within, within the European market, I think there are some, some pockets of, 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 you know, really interesting opportunity. Um, so uh, technology is, is one, particularly software, um, where there are some you know, very high quality businesses with, you know, good stable cash flows, um, st- strong um, growth opportunities, companies like SAP, like Amadeus IT, for example, um, where, 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 where you know, valuations are not dissimilar to some of the, you know, say, consumer staples companies, but the growth, growth outlook is, is much more positive. Um, and similarly in, in healthcare, um, where there are companies which have you know, really been sold off uh, along with the rest of the, um, the, the, the healthcare sector following the, 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 the sort of the political issues in, in the US and, and pressure on, um, on, on drug pricing. Um, yet companies that don't actually really uh, don't don't sell drugs in in the U.S. So companies like Fresenius Medical Care, for example, which is which is a buyer of drugs rather than a seller of drugs in the U.S., but has been um, sold off along with the rest of the sector. Okay. Now Emma pointed out that not everybody um, thinks Europe is a good place to be at the moment. Um, what are your main concerns about Europe, and what you know, what do you think are the main risks to investing in European equities? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think one of the one of the risks is is probably the the the, um, the level of positive um, sentiment and and the the level of complacency that that I think has got into into the market. Um, so when you look at um, fund manager surveys, um, people are you know very positively positioned. Cash levels are um, are very low, both from institutional investors but also um, from from retail investors. Um, and when you ask uh, institutional investors, what what they think would um, would be most surprising, um, they 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 see a crash as think, being the most surprising thing. They see a bubble as being the least surprising thing thing to occur. Um, so I think there is a a degree of, of of complacency in the market, which you know which clearly is uh, which clearly is a a, a risk. Um, but I think what's interesting for Europe right now is is a lot of the risks are external to Europe rather than internal to Europe. So, you know, we've gone through a period and, and um, Emma talked about the, you know, the political risks and, and all the uncertainty there. And, and that was a big reason, I think, why investors really shied away from European equities. And, and we saw such massive outflows from, from the asset class in 2016. Um, but now a lot of that is, is behind us. Um, so, you know, the, a lot of these um, elections have gone in, in broadly a market-friendly friendly way. Um, you know, clearly we do, we do still have risks in, in, in the form of Italian election and, and Brexit negotiations, etc. But, you know, a, a number of the big um, risk events are, are behind us. And now I think the, the, the risks are more external to, to Europe. So um, whether that's um, a geopolitical risk, but, but I think more, um, more pressing sort of the, the, the U.S. And, and sort of what the fact that the U.S. is, is quite late cycle um, and, and that could have a negative 
um, a negative impact, but also China, um, where you know we have seen a rapid acceleration in, in credit growth, and you know, Europe is is a very global market. Um, sort of 50% or, or thereabouts of revenues come from outside of, of Europe, um, compared to sort of you know 20, 30% for, for the U.S. market. Um, so you know it, th- those those risks I think are, are quite real for, for the European uh, for the European market, particularly for for exporting companies. Okay, now on that subject of risk and uh, facing in or facing out, you, Emma also mentioned that um, European smaller companies look set to do well, but typically these are higher risk than large caps and typically, I suppose, they're more domestic facing. Um, so would you say that the smaller companies listed in continental Europe at the moment are worth the extra risk? I think so, yes. Um, I, I mean, I think... You know, with, with, with this question, I, th- I think it sort of depends how, you, um, how you're thinking about risk. If, if you're thinking in terms of, you know, share price volatility, um, then, you know, yes, typically small, small cap stocks tend to be more, more volatile, more risky than, than large cap stocks. Um, but given, you know, given the point about a lot of the risks for, for Europe being um, outside of, of Europe currently rather than inside of Europe, actually there's, there's, there's I think, a case to be made for... Um, you know, investing in more domestic companies being a less risky prospect than investing in more globally focused companies that are exposed to um, emerging markets, are exposed to um, a late cycle U.S. and, and are more exposed to um, the, the, the point that Emma made about the, you know, the, the potential for the um, for the currency to, to strengthen further. Although you know, it has 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 been pretty strong so far this this year. Um, so. And you know, I, I think the other the, the other thing is that you know the, the small cap universe is is vast, um, and so there are always opportunities to, to be found. You know, on a on a company specific uh, level, companies that have you know particular exposures, um, particular valuations. So you know, it's a um, it's it's a very it's a very broad canvas from from an opportunity perspective. Okay, thank you, Toby. Some really helpful points, and you can see Emma's full list of fund suggestions for investing in Europe in this week's magazine and the website. Now, there's a great deal of uncertainty over the direction of financial markets. But this doesn't seem to have stopped UK investors putting their money to work with a record-breaking amount channelled into UK funds in September. Emma, how much did UK investors put into funds? And was it just in September that they had an appetite for investing? UK investors put in £5.6 billion into funds in September, which, as you say, is a record-breaking amount. But actually, this was part of a trend. As in the first nine months of the year, UK investors invested a whopping £33 billion. And that has already made 2017, with three months of the year left to go, at least in the Investment Association's statistics, the best year on record. OK, well, that sounds like a phenomenal amount of money. Um, what sort of funds have investors been putting it into? Interestingly, investors are really keen on fixed income. So fixed income was the best-selling fund asset class in September, with net retail sales of £1.8 billion. And sterling strategic bond funds were the best-selling fund sector in September, with net retail sales of about a billion pounds. Um, OK. Um, is this actually a good idea of UK interest rates on the rise and, and possibly US ones too? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I suppose the case for it would be that 
if investors are going for sterling strategic bond funds, they are actually better at being able to um, go where the opportunities are because of their flexible mandate. And they can use things like derivatives to be able to you know, make money whether markets are falling or rising. And so they can potentially better avoid and uh, better avoid the risks of interest rates rising and find opportunities. Okay. Now, um, investors weren't keen on all types of funds. Um, What didn't they like? The UK in general was very out of favour. UK equity funds saw net retail outflows of about £100 million and the UK oil company sector was the worst selling sector in September. Okay. So why is it that UK investors are avoiding UK funds? I mean, the, the obvious thing is the economic uncertainty surrounding the Brexit negotiations. And there are also worries about consumers' abilities to keep spending in the face of high inflation and poor wage growth. Okay. Um, so would you say they're right? I mean, these, these investors, should we also be giving UK equity funds a wide berth? I mean, in some sense, you can understand why some investors are shunning the UK. But there is also an argument that there could be a value opportunity developing in the UK. And um, Steve Davies, he's manager of the Jupiter UK Growth Fund, says he finds the situation very similar to how out of favour emerging markets were a few years ago. And we all know how um, well they've risen strongly since then. So there really is a case for considering whether or not you still want some exposure to the UK, especially as there's so many good fund managers around. Okay. Now, Toby, um, what do you think? Do you think UK equities are still a worthwhile area to invest in, even with the many uncertainties relating to Brexit? I think so, yes. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the, um, the, the sort of the cloud of, of Brexit looms very large over, um, o- over the asset class. And, and I think, you know, a, a degree of, of certainty on, on the negotiations would, would certainly help. You know, as we know, um, stock markets don't like um, don't like uncertainty, and, and you know, but but in spite of that, you know, since since the election, the UK market has actually um, performed pretty pretty well. Um, I think you know some clarity on on, on what was happening um, in in the negotiations. I think would be a, a positive from from an economic perspective. I think it would give um, UK firms and, and international firms some um, so, some more sort of confidence and, and clarity in terms of the um, operational decisions and, and investment decisions of, uh, in, in the UK, you know, from an investment perspective, from a, from a hiring perspective. But I think, you know, given everything that, that's going on and, and what we're sort of reading and, and seeing in, in the, um, in, in, on, on the TV, this is probably um, wishful thinking. And, and I think markets are, are probably going to have to contend with a good degree of uncertainty around the negotiations um, you know, for, for the next um, for the next while, um, but you know that that said, from an investment perspective, when when you have volatility, when you have uncertainty, this does create um, opportunity. Um, so you know, when when you get um, macroeconomically driven um, uncertainty, this throws up valuation anomalies. And, and I think if you know if you if you take a, a disciplined um, bottom up approach, I think you can you can take advantage of these these sort of opportunities. Okay, now turning to the opportunities, do you think that internationally exposed large caps are a better option than more domestic facing small and mid caps? I think I think it really depends um, from company to company and, and from sector to sector. I think you know, one of the, the, the big benefits that 
that the UK has and, and the reason why, um, you know, sort of Brexit is, is um, you know, a, lot, a lot easier from a, a corporate perspective than, you know, Frexit might, might be is because we do have a, um, a floating exchange rate. And, and you've seen that the you know, sterling has been the, the sort of the release valve. Um, and has helped, um, you know, helped, you know, particularly the um, global companies that, that are listed in the UK to um, to, to perform um, perform pretty well. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think you do have to be um, very selective. I think, you know, there are some, um, you know, even within the sort of the the more global um, facing companies in in the UK. I think there are some some areas which have which have got quite quite expensive. Um, particularly some of the, you know, the staples companies, and, and I think, you know, growth prospects are, um, are, you know, for some of these companies are relatively limited. I think that the sort of the focus that um, a lot of these companies have had on um, zero-based budgeting, which, you know, which is, is an agenda sort of pushed by some of the private equity uh, companies in, in the U.S., has, has meant that um, growth prospects have deteriorated because they haven't been investing in um, in, in R&D um, for you know for some time. So I think you know there's reason to be cautious cautious on, on some of those companies. But then you know sort of on the other side you know areas like like tobacco, British American Tobacco, for example, has some very interesting and exciting new products in in the, the um, next generation products. So you know vaping and, and heat not burn type type products. So there are you know, there are opportunities. Um, there are opportunities opportunities there, um, and again, sort of, you know, back to back to healthcare. I think that's a, an area where um, there has been investment. There are interesting new um, new, new drug price uh, drug pipelines, um, and valuations are are, are pretty um, pretty attractive. Um, and then, you know, sort of t- turning to, to small cap. You know, yes, in in aggregate, sort of small and, and mid cap companies are more exposed to, to the domestic economy, um, but. You know, some of those companies have been very aggressively sold off because of the um, uncertainty around around Brexit. So again, you know, that does create some some opportunity. Okay. Now, a particular sort of positive that you associate with um, the UK equity market is that quite a lot of companies here pay attractive dividend streams. But at the moment, what are their valuations like, and are they worth paying for? Yeah, I think. I think there are. I think I think it's a re- it's a really good question, a really interesting question. I think you know there are some you know, areas of the, uh, I guess the kind of the low volatility sort of stable cash flow type um, type companies, and you know thinking again of, of staples where valuations have become very um, very expensive, and I think the opportunities are, are relatively limited. Um, so I think it's in areas and, and, and I think um, energy is, is a very good example um, of a sector where dividend yields are, are very high um, and, and I think you know investors have been very wary of, of, of the sector um, and, and concerned that, that companies would not be able to pay their dividends so if you take a company like Royal Dutch Shell which has um, a, a dividend yield you know well in excess of, of six percent um, but actually now is generating more cash um, than it was generating when when the oil price was over um, was over a hundred dollars a couple of years ago. So you know this is a company that has very aggressively cut costs. It, it has synergy benefits from the um, the, the deal with, uh, with with BG, um, but and is you know ge- as a result generating a, a very large amount of cash and, and is able to you know more than cover its dividend. So I think that's that's key is identifying companies where 
the valuation is, is attractive and, and the cash flow um, is, is there and, and able, to, uh, able to pay the dividend. And, and, you know, I think there are some you know, good examples of that, but there are also some, um, some areas where, um, where you know, valuations are, are quite excessive and, and the, the, uh, the dividends are more at risk. OK, thank you, Toby. And you can see which other types of funds have been popular in this week's Funds News and on the website. That brings us to the end of today's show, so it just remains to thank Emma Adjumang, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Toby Gibb, European Investment Director at Fidelity. But you can read more on investing in Europe, the merits of strategic bond funds, and the prospects for UK equities in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening, and have a good weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.